Why don't you open your Bibles to Haggai chapter 2? And we're going to look at the first nine verses of this chapter. And we want to deal with disappointment and discouragement and what God would want us to do when we are disappointed and discouraged. Give you a moment to turn there. I'm looking at the clock. It's 1020. I have a feeling we're going to finish really early today. So maybe we can have a little prayer meeting afterwards. What do you think? So we can kind of extend it out to 11 o'clock. With that in mind, let's pray. Father, we come together as a family today to look at people who lived 2,500 years ago. Some things haven't changed because we can be so much like your people during the time of Haggai, getting wrapped up in doing things, being religious, fulfilling rituals, and not really having the heart in the midst of all of that. Father, we ask, just as you did back in those days, to stir our hearts, reignite our priorities, our focus. Bring us to that place where we are a passionate and excited people about who you are, the things you've done, the things you are doing, and the things you will do. And not only in our lives, not only in our church, but in our world. Father, in the midst of our disappointment and discouragement, strengthen our hearts for the work that we might be faithful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been disappointed? Can you just take a little bit of a minute here and and pull out your bulletin and write maybe one event that has disappointed you? Or just one thing, just to kind of get you interacting with me a little bit here. Just one thing. Have you ever been disappointed? Something that's disappointed you. If you're a Bears fan, you were disappointed in early February. Initially, the excitement was great when Devin Hester ran back that touchdown. I lost my voice in the first 13 seconds of the game and then cried for the remaining 57 minutes as they lost. That was kind of disappointing. Uh, How many of you were disappointed last Wednesday when the Bulls lost to the New Jersey Nets, realizing that they would no longer have the number two seed but the five seed, and then they'd end up playing Miami? Of course, I embarrassed myself yesterday in front of my sons yelling at the TV, calling Shaq and Dwayne Wade all kinds of names. Not bad names, mind you. But there's that sense of disappointment. How many of you are Cubs fans? Need I go on anymore? Sox fans last year was a disappointing season only because I really believed they should have repeated and they didn't. It kind of makes you wonder, is it better to be a Cubs fan and never having tasted glory? Or to have actually tasted glory and then never tasted again? Makes you wonder. Disappointment. Disappointment is all around us. Sports is, can be a very disappointing thing because in some ways you have no control and other people control your destiny. And it's really strange because, let's be realistic, it's only a game. Have you ever been disappointed in people? How many of you have ever been disappointed in a pastor? Raise your hands. How many of you have been disappointed in me? No, just kidding because then I'd have to come up to you afterwards. You can come up to me afterwards if you want to. 
But I am sure that in the 18 or 19 months that I've been here, that I've disappointed people. I know myself, there are certain pastors that you kind of hold in a higher distinctive level or a higher view of them, and and then you meet them and you're disappointed. There's a lot of disappointment that we feel. Have you ever had an an event in mind that you're really excited about and you you go there and you get disappointed because it's not what you expected? As I was thinking through this message, I then started to think about, have you ever been disappointed with yourself? And I started thinking about myself, and I, and I said, wow, you know, I'm really disappointed at the way I can be a pastor. I'm disappointed at the way that I can be a father. I'm disappointed at the things that I've done as a husband. I'm disappointed in the things that I've done as a son. I'm disappointed in the things that I've done as a sibling and as a neighbor. And it kind of got a little depressing near the end of the week because I began to reflect so much on all the things that I'm disappointed in which would have missed ultimately the idea of this passage, that there's something, there's someone who moves beyond our disappointment. And even though life isn't all that we expect it to be, there's still something grander beyond who we are. Well, the people here in Haggai chapter 2 are dealing with disappointment. Let's just read the first few verses. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and ask them, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? Well, what's happened here is for just about four weeks, the people have begun rebuilding the temple. And this day here, the 21st day of the seventh month, is actually a feast day. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a day when the people in the surrounding areas will come into Jerusalem and they'll have a celebration. And it's a celebration where they build these little huts, these outside huts, and they live in these outside huts because it reminds them of the days that they traveled through the wilderness for 40 years and they lived in these tents or tabernacles. That's why it's called the Feast of Tabernacles. But ultimately, God fulfilled his promise and brought them into the promised land. So when they live in these little tabernacles outside of their homes, there's a sense of gratefulness and celebration that now it's over and we can go back inside. I don't know if you would look at it this way, but if for seven days, how many of you like to camp? Let me ask that first. How many of you like to really go? I hate camping, but how many of you like to go camping? Okay, you like to, I don't know how you can do that. You know, the bugs crawling all over the place, the mosquitoes, no showers, no real bathrooms. I don't understand that, but that's probably because I'm modern and suburban. But anyway, if I turned to my wife and kids and said, let's celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, and for seven days we're going to live outside in the backyard in a tent. And we're going to do away with all these modern conveniences. How do you think that would go over in the house? Probably not too well, because I would probably cry every night, thinking that I could be in my warm bed, and instead I'm in a sleeping bag. Well, that's really what's going on. But I could tell you, if my family did that, on day seven, when we go back inside the house, there would be a sense of excitement, jubilation. I would almost venture to say that even though the Kenya trip has been exciting, that all of them will be glad to be home. It's a celebration. 
So here you have this day of celebration, and instead the people are sad. Because for four weeks, they've been working on rebuilding the temple, and there's not really much you can do in four weeks. And if you know the history of what's going on, it's going to take them four years to complete this temple. So when they get together on this feast day, and all the people come in from the suburbs, and they kind of look and they go, that's it? That's all you've done? It's a little disappointing. It's a little discouraging because God has stirred the hearts of the people. There's a sense of excitement. All these great things are happening and not really much has been accomplished. And God sees this and he says, and let's read it again in verse three. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? In other words, how many of you older people here remember what it was like when the old temple was here? And there's probably a few of them that were. And they would have said something like this. Do you remember the Holy of Holies? It cost $20 million in pure gold to make that little closet of a space where God would dwell. $20 million. That's fantastic. I mean, if you can imagine this little closet room where God's presence dwelled for $20 million, if you can only imagine what the huge temple looked like, you begin to get an idea that when they're looking at this place, that is made up of just a bunch of stones with very little gold and silver, what are they thinking? Man, this is discouraging. Could you imagine if today we celebrated worship at Willow Creek and their nice new 7,000-person sanctuary, and you're sitting in there with 6,850 other people, and you're looking around, and it's like, wow, this is really awesome. And you went there for, I don't know what kind of services they have, but let's say they have their 8 o'clock service on Sunday morning. And then you come here at 945, and you see the 150 of us here in this sanctuary. And mind you, it's a nice sanctuary, so please don't tell Pastor Jason that I'm saying something bad about the sanctuary. But you come in there and you go, man, something missing. That's kind of what's going on here. There's this disappointment that God has stirred our hearts. God is moving in our midst and he's called us to rebuild this temple to get our priorities straightened out. And when we get together after four weeks, man, it doesn't really look like anything is happening. Have you ever had a moment in your spiritual life where God revived your heart and after four weeks you feel like you're going through the same old, same old? You're looking at yourself going, nothing has really changed. I still have the same bad attitudes. I still have the same struggles in the same areas. And it really is disappointing because if I remember that event or if I remember that service or if I remember that retreat, I really believed that this was the one time God was going to get me over the hump and everything was going to be great. It was all going to fall into place and everything was going to be fantastic. And me and God were going to be really close. And now four weeks out is the same old, same old. Nothing's really changed. When I look at these people, I can understand that they were very disappointed. They had high expectations. God said he was with them. God said he was going to bless them. All these good things were going to happen. And it just wasn't happening. They were disappointed. If you continue to face disappointment in life, disappointment after disappointment after disappointment, ultimately you will be discouraged. The people are disappointed and they're discouraged. What they're doing is they're comparing. How many of you have ever been compared to someone else? I'm sure it happens in most homes. Your parents, if you're not an only child, uh, Brian Kim, I'm sure it doesn't happen in your house because you're an only child. But 
if you're not an only child, you might hear something like, you're not like your sister. Not as smart as her. Not as this as her. Or you're not that. And there's an overwhelming sense of, oh, man, if I can just get to that place. And if you don't make it, there's a constant beating down of your spirit. And I really sense with these people, as, as well as with many of us, they're being compared and, and they're doing that comparison themselves and they're beating themselves down and their perspective or their focus has gotten off who it really should be on God and it's gotten on themselves and it's not a good thing. And that's why they're disappointed and discouraged. I know when I first came to Harvest, my thought was, I really don't want to be here. Not because I didn't want to be with you guys or not because I didn't want to be part of a bigger church, but because I compared myself with Pastor Dave. I said, first of all, he's smarter. I remember one time here uh, when I came to speak as a guest speaker, he wrote an email that sounded like an epistle. I said, I can't be that smart. That's just an email. I'll never make that. He's funnier. I think he speaks better. Uh, he's got a whole bunch of, he hardly ever sleeps. I like to sleep at least eight hours a day. I'm thinking, this guy is type A and I'm type C. If there isn't even type C, that's how far away I'm. And, and that, that's, I had to deal with that sense of comparison and tell the exec team and the board that, you know what, I am not like this guy. I will never be like this guy. In fact, the more I get older, the more I need to sleep. And I don't know if that's a good thing or not. But that comparison, we spend so much time comparing ourselves to other people. And what's going to happen? We're going to be disappointed. And as we keep comparing, we're going to be discouraged. God recognizes this among the people and he says, time out. Let's face the facts. The temple that you're building is not going to be like the temple of old. That's a strange thing about God. I mean, you'd think he'd come along and he'd say, it's okay, it's going to be all right. He just states the facts. Hey, it's not going to be as good. Sorry. But he doesn't leave it there. He says, even though it's not going to be good, it's going to be better. And we'll get into that a little bit later on. But comparing ourselves to other people, whether it's our church or ourselves as individuals, really leads to disappointment and discouragement. And I think the message that God would speak to us today is you're wasting your time if you're comparing yourself to other people or to God. I'm not sorry, forgive me to other people who are spiritual, you're missing the point because God wants you to be the person he's made you to be. So if you're a type B person, that's okay because that's who you are. If you do things differently in order to get your heart aligned with God, that's okay. The key is that you deal with the disappointment and discouragement in your life by being faithful, which is God's call to these people. Look at verse 4. God says this, after he stated the facts, it's not going to be the same. It's not going to get better. But he says, but now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. Three times we see this word, <clears throat> declares. God is trying to get a message. And here's very simply, the message is this. You're dealing with disappointment and discouragement. You are comparing yourselves to something that I have never asked you to compare yourself to. You can't even get close to rebuilding the temple as it was. But let's just put that side up for a moment. And I want you to be strong. Three times. Be strong. 
be strong, be strong. And if I were to translate it, here's what I think God would say. He would say this, be faithful, persevere, press on, keep on keeping on, push on, or quite simply hang in there. Be faithful. God's call for your life is not to be somebody else. God's call on my life is not to be like Pastor Dave. God's call on my life is not to be like Bill Hybels or Rick Warren or whoever else. God's call on your life is not to be like somebody else, like a sister or a brother or someone you might know in a community group. God's call on your life is to be like Jesus. That's who he is calling you to be like. And he's calling you to be like Jesus in the midst of your personality as to who you are. So stop comparing Stop being disappointed at the things that you're not achieving that you think you should. Stop being discouraged, but simply do what I have asked you to do. Keep on pressing on. Be faithful. Persevere. Hang in there. Do the work. God's call in our lives is to change our focus and our perspective. How do we lose focus? We lose focus when we begin to focus on ourselves and not God. See, the people here during the time of Haggai were focusing on themselves. They were looking at the difficult situation that they were in. Things hadn't changed. The enemies were still there. They were still opposing the rebuilding of the temple. They're rebuilding the temple. The progress is very slow. It doesn't look very good. And what do they do? They look at the facts. The facts are they're in a difficult situation. The facts are the work is hard. The facts are the work is never going to get easy. The facts are that it's going to take a long time for this work to be finished. Those are the plain and simple facts. And God agrees with the facts. But now they have a choice. The choice is they can look at themselves and the facts and believe in them and be disappointed and discouraged Or they can decide to look at God, trust God in his word, and continue to be faithful. That's the choice that each and every one of us faces on a regular basis. You can look at your life from your perspective. You can see the facts as they are and become disappointed and discouraged because your thinking is, this is not working out the way it's supposed to be. Which may be, in your perspective, true. But in God's perspective, there's something totally different. And the way he sees things is so much better than the way we see things because we only see what's ahead of us, but he sees everything that's around us. So God's call on the lives of these people is to be faithful, to stop looking at the facts, and to start looking to God. Look again what he says in verse 4. He says, But now be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. In other words, make the choice and be faithful. Do what I have called you to do with what you have to do it. You don't have a lot of gold. You don't have a lot of silver. You have opposition around you. But just be faithful. Why? Why should we be faithful? Verse 5. This is what God says. You should be faithful because I do what I say. This is what I covenant with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you Do not fear. Do not be afraid. God does what he says. He gets them back to the past. Now think about this. God is bringing up this Egypt thing. But that happened a thousand years ago. 
And yet God is saying this, listen. When the people would have left Egypt, they really didn't have a homeland to go to. Or I should say, they didn't have a homeland themselves. They were heading to their homeland. They didn't have it in their possession just of yet. By faith, though, they left. And I brought them through that. <clears throat> they made their mistakes. They made their sins. It took 40 years. But I fulfilled my promise. And if you went back to chapter 1, God's fulfilling a promise. He says, come on, build the temple. Rebuild the temple. I will be with you. I will be among you. And he says it here again. I will be with you. But remember, it's based on the things that I have done in the past. You can trust me. When uh, my little daughter Kaylee is on the top of our stairs, I don't know how many of you have been to our house, but uh, it's kind of a weird stair system that if you just kind of take the wrong step, you can fall down and, and pretty much hurt yourself which kind of is a strange story. When we first moved into our house, we had a church membership class, and it was new. It was probably the first week. And the embarrassing thing was twice, within like a half-hour period, I fell down the stairs with people watching me, which was quite embarrassing. But it kind of gives you an idea of what our stairs are like. If you step the wrong way, boom, 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 boom. Not once, but twice. What an idiot. But anyway, my daughter stands at the top of the stairs, and uh, she doesn't know how to walk downstairs yet. She's only 20-some months. And I put my hands out, and she leans forward. Now, why does she do that? She does it because she trusts me. Not once have I ever done this. Psych! <laughs> okay, now, if that happens, never again, I'm sure, never again when I do this will she trust me. I know that. I always leave my hands out there, and I catch her, and then I take her to her favorite place in the house, the kitchen, and she eats. <laughs> she kind of has this down, you know what I mean? In the same way, God is saying, listen, look to the past, and look how I have always treated my people. My people have made their mistakes, their sins, their failures. They've blown it. They've taken a lot of detours. They've ended in a whole bunch of places that they never should have been. And I did do discipline. I did deal out discipline in ways that are astounding. And you're coming back from captivity as well. And I promised you'd come back from captivity. Look at the past and see all of the things that I have done and how I have fulfilled them and know that you can trust me. Stop looking at the facts and getting disappointed and discouraged and start looking at me and what I have promised to do in the past and have fulfilled and what I will promise to do in the future and will fulfill that as well. Do you see the difference? There's a huge difference. Because again, when we do look at the facts, I've, I really doubt that among us, everyone here has the perfect life. There are a lot of things that when they go wrong, and again, like I mentioned last week, I'm a pessimist, that you get a little bit discouraged because you really believe God has left you. God says, I have not left you. You're just looking at the facts, and you have stopped looking at me. God wants to, to reshape their perspective. In chapter 1, he wanted them to get back to the priority, keeping the main thing the main thing, worshiping God. Rebuilding the temple and, and, and seeing God's favor poured out on those people because they weren't experiencing God's favor at all if they would just reestablish their priorities. <clears throat> now he just wants them to refocus their perspective. Stop looking at the facts because you can trust me. I do what I say. But he goes on then and he gives them a future hope. Verse 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while... 
I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine. And I I like that because God is saying, y'all don't have any of it, but I have it all. So don't worry about it. I mean, it's kind of in a strange sense, in a weird way to think that they could build this nice temple and think that they're giving God something when God says it's all mine anyway, and it really doesn't make a difference. Verse nine, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of this former house. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. What is God saying? God is looking to the future. <clears throat> and he says, trust me. You can trust me when I say this. Because one day, God incarnate will walk among these temple grounds. And his glory will be greater than the glory of the building. The building itself of Solomon's temple. It's not the temple itself that is the issue in chapter 2. It's who is in the temple that makes the difference. And so God is telling them, when you look towards the future, there is hope. Look towards the past. That's good. Because you can see that I fulfill my promises. And you're looking at the present only, but not seeing the future. Because one day, what you're going through, the struggles, the problems, the difficulties... The disappointment, the discouragement, all of this. One day you will see some great things that will happen here. Because of your faithfulness, because of your continued doing the work of God, because of your continued worship, generations that follow will be able to worship God as well. He gives them a future hope, a future sense that their labor will not be in vain. How many of you have ever been involved in some sort of ministry and you are disappointed and discouraged by the people that you're leading? You may give some good advice and the person sits there and goes, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I need to do that. You see him next week. So how'd it go? I didn't do it. Talk to him a little bit more. Yeah, you know, I, I see that. This goes on. And on and on, and you get discouraged. I'm going to be honest here. I can't tell you how many times I have wanted to quit ministry until I got to harvest. <laughs> I got to add that just in case, you know, like my vote comes up and they say, well, he doesn't really like us. Let's get him out of here. Um, I can't. Whitestone was probably one of my favorite churches. I've only been to three, so it's kind of four. So it's kind of, you know, like it's in the top four. <sighs> just kidding. But it was a very close-knit community. But I cannot tell you how disappointed and discouraged I was when we went to a 9.30 a.m. service. We went to a 9.30 a.m. service, and there were more team, more people on the worship team leading worship than there were in the seats. Okay, you're sitting there as the pastor of the church going, okay, I'm here, and they're here, but nobody else is here. I can't tell you how many weeks for years on end I kept saying, oh, God, what am I doing? Why am I here? So then we switched to 1.30. Wasn't much different when we switched to 1.30. I can't tell you about the first church that I went to. After the first year of ministry, I said, I quit. These kids are uncontrollable because it was youth ministry back then. They're never going to change. I'm so tired of the same old, same old. Do you know why I read books so much? 
I read books so much because I took a vacation after the first year of ministry and I went to my parents' house and I said, I have to finish something. So I took this book that I read when I was in high school. It was about 920 pages. And I read the whole thing all week long. And when the week was over, I said, thank God I finished something. Because for a year of ministry, nothing's been done. Nothing whatsoever. Which, of course, when I look at the facts, it was true. It was a very hard year of ministry. But when I start to look 20 years or 19 years later from God's perspective, some of those kids that were just out of control are in ministry today. How different it might have been if I just said, you know what, God, I really do quit. I'm only 23. I can go back to school. I can maybe get a job in occupational therapy or physical therapy, which is not to say they're easy jobs, but that's what I was thinking at the time. And I could do that, and I could just quit. But who knows how different things would have been had I quit and not continued on. See, that's what God is telling these people. And you know what really scares me about this? Is these people will never see the greater glory. All they are going to do is take four years to rebuild this temple... Until 500 years later, Jesus is finally going to come. Now, if I told you, please be faithful, keep on keeping on, press on, hang in there, because 500 years from now, there are going to be people who are going to be talking about you. How would you feel? I think that's why God doesn't tell them that it's going to be 500 years. Because I think most of us would give up. I I can't wait that long. We, and, and we're so American, too. We want results. I mean, we fire our managers or our coaches when we're not winning championships. But think about it. In sports, there's only one champion each year in the sport. There's a whole bunch of losers afterwards. But we're so results-oriented. You see, God is saying, it's, it's just be faithful. Your perspective is looking at the facts. My perspective is looking at the future, the whole picture. If you went to, and please don't go there, but if you went to Hebrews chapter 11, there's some interesting verses. Verse 13 says this, all of these died in faith without receiving the promise. How's that for an exciting message on Sunday morning? You're going to die in faith, but you'll not receive the promise. Hey, Abraham, leave this land and inherit this land that only 70 people in your family will know about, but you really won't ever see the fulfillment of that promise. Isn't that wonderful? Doesn't that just stir your heart to know that today Harvest Community Church is starting a building program and I want you all to take out a second mortgage and a third mortgage and all the money you give, you will never see the end of that building, but it's going to look nice. That's not very encouraging, is it? God doesn't stop there. Verses 39 through 40 says, All these, having gained approval through their faith, do not receive what is promised. See, that's the weird thing about following God. It's not about us. We'd like to think that it's about us. And I imagine the people during Haggai's time are thinking it's about us and God's favor and worshiping him and receiving the blessings that God's going to give us. That's really cool. That's what we're looking for. God says, no, that's only a small part of it. What we are building even here at Harvest is something that is for the future as well. 
What God would call us as a church is to be faithful now, to hang in there now, to keep on keeping on now. When you look at the facts, yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's hard. Look at your life. Things aren't getting better. In fact, they're getting worse. And you know what? They're going to get even worse than that. But if you would just be faithful, you have no idea whose future you may very well affect and change. By us being faithful... There are college students that follow afterwards and say, if they can do it, I can do it. It is worth it. There are Roots kids that say, you know what? I have seen people be faithful and I know I can do it if they can do it because there's a God who will do that. There are kids right now, some of you as parents are holding little kids in your arms. 20 years from now, they may be standing in a harvest community sanctuary and saying, I see my parents and they have been faithful and we're building towards the future as well. It's not just about the present. That's why these people had a strange or warped perspective and focus. Because their thinking was the here and now. And God's thinking was, in the here and now, all you have is that I am with you. And these promises that happened a thousand years ago that were fulfilled, and the promise of what's going to happen 500 years in the future. How many of you saw the movie Amazing Grace about William Wilberforce? Pretty good movie. Um, I cried. Of course, I cried just about every movie now. I don't know if that's an age thing or what have you. In fact, I'm finding that I cry just about anywhere because I'm always thinking about my kids. And which, of course, this week is a very frightening thing what happened on Monday because I sit there and think, God, I don't think I could handle what some of those parents are going through, thinking that you send your kid off to college with a hope and a future and something happens. But, but I, seeing this movie reminded me how this man spent 20 years fighting for the cause of Christ to bring an end to slavery. It wasn't easy. It wasn't like for 20 years it was a picnic. There were many times I'm sure that he felt like giving up. But if he doesn't give up, what happens? That's just, to me, is is very profound. He persevered. He hung in there. He didn't say, God, it's all about results. But eventually God brought about change. You know, if you had to consider that some 40 50, 60 years later, if England was still a slave-holding nation, how different would our nation be today if the Civil War had the English on the side of the South? I mean, you just can't begin to fathom how much history would be different if you had a perspective that only faced the facts and didn't look towards what God was doing as he calls you to persevere. I mean, could you say in a strange sense that William Wilberforce helped prevent the splitting of the United States of America? In some small way, probably yes. I think of William Carey in the late 1700s who goes off to India with high hopes. It takes him seven years before he finally gets his first Hindu convert. Seven years. I think of that and I say, I lasted six and a half years at Whitestone. What happens if in the last half of the time that I would have done something else and how it would have changed somebody's life? God's call on our lives is not to compare ourselves with William Wilberforce, not to compare ourselves with William Carey, not to compare ourselves to William or Bill Hybels. It's not to compare ourselves to anybody but to Christ and who God is making us to be. And so a lot of times in the midst of our disappointment and discouragement, we keep looking at the facts, thinking that's all there is to it and forgetting who God is. And God would say quite simply, here's two things to help you deal with your discouragement. Number one, I am with you. And number two, I do what I say. 
Listen to what some of the New Testament writers said. Paul writes this in Galatians 6. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. He says to the Corinthians, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. They may not see the results, but God is saying, if you are faithful, if you stand strong, if you do the work, my promise is this, though you may not see the results, results are happening. People's lives are being affected and influenced by your faithfulness. I have no idea what my life would be like today if I'd quit 18, 19 years ago. In fact, my anniversary is coming up June 1st, 2007. 20 years. I can't believe it. In those 20 years, I've probably quit 250 times at least in my heart and mind. It's a different world. Many of you today right now are probably sitting there disappointed and discouraged. And I would have to say, if I were to look at the facts of your life, you should be. Not in a sense of humor, but in a real sense, you should be. Because you're looking and saying, I've done all these things and nothing's happening. I'm disappointed. I'm discouraged. You may be sitting there on the brink of saying, forget it. Some of you may be sitting here today, and this may be the last Sunday that you ever come to church because nothing has ever really happened, and you've heard all these promises of God, and you've never seen the promises come to fruition, and it's just forget it, I quit, and I give up. That's a very real possibility. But I would like to say, it's going to get better. I would like to say, it's going to be great. I would like to say, You'll look back at this and say those are some of the best days of your life, but I can't because right now many of you are in that painful state where it's not it's hard to see that. I would say look at the facts. They're true. But change your perspective now and look at God and maybe things will never get better, but you have no idea as to whose life you are touching and changing by being faithful. If these people gave up Future generations might know might not know the type of worship that they knew because these people were faithful. Last week, in Haggai chapter 1, I believe God was calling us to challenge ourselves, to consider our ways, to look at why our lives are the way they are. He was challenging us to ignite a passion for worshiping God. Not to build a building, not to go to a community group, not to come to Sunday church, not to give money, but to get into communion with God, to get excited and passionate about God. And I think this week God's challenge for us is to stop looking at what could be or could have been and just look at God and understand that he is with us and be faithful in the work that he's called us to do, even if it doesn't seem like it's doing anything. Because there are results that we don't see that are happening, that are going on, that we may never, ever see. God is challenging us to ignite a passion in our hearts to be a people who will be faithful no matter what. And that's what God's call is for these people. No matter what, be faithful. Look towards the future. See the people that you're affecting and changing just by being faithful. So today we have a choice. Disappointment and discouragement says this. I can't, therefore I won't. In other words, I give up. Faith says, I can't. That's key. Faith says, I can't, but he can, therefore 
I will. Your faithfulness is not tied into how good of a person you can be. It's not tied into your willpower, your strength to do what you're supposed to do. It's tied into your relationship with God, the strength that he infuses in you as he allows you to taste his goodness and his kindness, even in the midst of difficult and disappointing and discouraging circumstances, and says, this is worth it. I would like to say that 20 years of ministry has been worth it, not because it's been fun, because there are more fun things to do in life than to deal with people who are constantly criticizing or not changing or complaining, which is not to say nothing about you guys. It's all the other churches. There's an easier way. There's an easier path, but it's not the path that God would have us to walk. The path of following Jesus, following in his steps is not an easy thing, but we have the promise of God that if we are faithful, we will be fruitful. You may not see that fruit, but the fruit is there. And like that one song that Pastor Dave played uh, months ago when people were saying like it's kind of corny and stuff like that. But it really is a song that is so true because one day in our faithfulness, we will be surrounded by people who will just simply say, thank you. Thank you for persevering, for hanging on. Because if you had not, I may not be here. Let's pray. Father, sometimes we have a twisted view of who you are. Our expectation is that as our loving Father, that you would give us everything that we want and life would be good. We find not only in the New Testament, but the Old Testament as well, that that's not necessarily true. You want to bless us. We all agree to that. The word is very clear on that. But more than anything else, you want us to be with you. So, Father, my prayer is for those who are on the brink of giving up or have considered it quite frequently that they would look at the facts, be overwhelmed by the facts, discouraged, disappointed, that's fine too. But then speak into those people's hearts. Take their eyes off the facts. May their eyes fix upon you and see that though the pain is not great, it's not fun, it's not enjoyable, And though we may not even know the reason for the pain or the difficulty, your call for us is to be faithful. We may not be Billy Graham, Luis Palau, Bill Hybels, Rick Warren. It's not what you call us to be. You call us to be faithful because there are generations that are following us that can know Jesus deeply and intimately because we have been faithful to your call upon our lives. Father, give us that future perspective. May we, like the people in the time of Haggai, grab onto this hope and keep building. And though we may never see some of the fruit, though we may never see the fulfillment of some of the promises that you have made in our lives, we trust you. And may that trust be obvious to those who are around us, that they might see that Jesus is so much better than things in life or great events in life. May that be the tone of our lives. Jesus, a sweet perfume that fills our lives and oozes from our hearts and gives people that hope. The hope of eternity, but the hope of all hopes, knowing Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.